0: welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we delve into this month's IWF policy focus, a realistic approach to climate change. You can find the brief on IWF.org, but Julie Gunlock, IWF's director of Independent Women's Forum Center for Progress and Innovation, joins us to break it down. We'll get into the common myths about climate change and what policy changes can lead. Need to a cleaner environment. But before we bring her on, we wanted you to know that during this time of uncertainty and unprecedented challenges due to COVID-19, it's more important than ever to show what America is made of. That's why Independent Women's Forum is highlighting American ideals of ingenuity, generosity, thoughtfulness, and kindness. From everyday Americans sewing masks and donating blood to companies, providing free food and housing to those on the front lines, it's a beautiful reminder that we're in this together. Visit IWF.org or check us out on Facebook and Twitter and follow our campaign using hashtag In This Together to learn more about that campaign. But Julie, I am glad that you're on this podcast because we are in this podcast together. So thank you so much for joining us. <laughs>
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be
0: on. And of course, the policy focus that you wrote comes at a perfect time the month of April when we just this week hit the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which seems to be a renewed focus, of course, by activists across the country and across the globe on this idea of something that would resemble the Green New Deal, talking more about the environment and the harms that we supposedly are creating. So I just kind of want to jump into the policy focus itself, what are some of the myths that have been perpetuated for quite a while and are definitely being discussed this week? Well, look, there's
1: lots and lots of myths. Everything from the obesity epidemic to, you know, the myth that polar bear populations are suffering, um, forest fires. Um, everything is blamed on climate change. So no matter what the societal ill is. Um, usually activists can tie it back to climate change. I mean, I've seen some pretty obnoxious claims, like crime is going up because of climate change, or, um, you know, you name it, you name it, they can, they can tie it back. But I think the most common ones um, that we see tend to focus on extreme weather, and I mentioned forest fires or disasters. So extreme weather, like tornadoes or hurricanes, Um, natural disasters like forest fires and other issues. Um, That is a common myth that's uh, that's promoted by activists. Also, we see a lot on sea levels, um, and I'll get kind of into the details on these. Um, And then the the third one I highlight in the policy focus is the idea that fossil fuels themselves, so we're talking about oil, um, that they are inherently bad for the earth, and that is just not true, one, and also... Um, a lot of these myths, especially the one about fossil fuels, um, they, they never really delve into the fact that fossil fuels have lifted people out of poverty and have, been, have made the world a much better place uh, to live. So I think it's important that when you're talking about, okay, you know, these things, we might want to find alternatives, for instance, to fossil fuels, but you also have to recognize what fossil fuels have done, you know, for, the, for economies all across uh, the world. Um, so I can get a little bit into the, the, the specifics. Um, myths that are promoted, the sea levels, for instance, Um, you know, I think most people, uh, (laughs) I was looking back at when Al Gore predicted, um, you know, that in 2006, Al Gore said that there would be a 20-foot rise in sea levels, um, that he said polar caps would be completely melted, that we would have shifts, and whole cities would be flooded, and that we would have coastal shifts, um, none of that has happened, and I think part of the reason and what people have started to understand now is that sea levels have risen for thousands of years, and it is at a much slower rate than what Al Gore predicted. And we're talking about over thousands of years, it's it's shifted just a really tiny amount that's really had no real effect um, on coastlines and on city flooding. Um, but then again, you will see when there is, for instance, flooding in a city or flooding in a coastal area, you will see the climate alarmist immediately say, oh, it's because of climate change when it really has nothing to do with that. That is weather, it is not, uh, it is, it is not, not climate change. So the other one you, you often see is extreme weather, which is kind of tied into this. Um, anytime there's a tornado or there's a hurricane or there's some other form of extreme weather, uh, you again will see the climate alarmist that, that suggesting that it's climate change. But you actually have, you know, the IPCC is reporting that there's been no increase in extreme weather in the past 30 years. Um, and really, you can trace the sort of climate alarmist to about 30 years ago. I mean, they've always been there, frankly, before it was the, 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 sort of the world warming, the warming alarmist. It was the cooling alarmist when I was a little girl, uh, a little over 30 years ago. Um, they, you know, everyone was saying it was going to be a new ice age and we were all going to freeze to death. And I remember this. I remember, you know, claims of population explosions to the point that we would run out of food and water. Um, and so these, these alarmist claims, these myths, these suggestions that one variable, whether it be polar, you know, the ice caps melting or extreme weather, one of these things is going to kill us. And these have been around for generations. You can talk to your parents, you can talk to your grandparents crack open a history book. The alarmists have been with us for some time in memoriam. And so this is nothing new. But the effect is the same. It really does scare the public. And I think as we're going to get into here, it makes people worry um, enough that they tend to acquiesce more readily to government to government regulation.
0: A, a phrase that I've been hearing more and more is climate refugee, this idea that people have to to leave where they live due to rising sea levels. And I just yeah. use that as, as an example, because when you, you cite the data, when you talk about the science, why is it that there aren't more people showing that the claims that are made are inaccurate? Because as wow. you were saying, people are scared. I, I've actually even thought about children in this country. I feel like we're scaring them so much. If we tell them the world is oh. ending in 12 years, why should they even try in school?
1: It is, it is grotesque. It is truly grotesque the types of things these activists will do to push the American population and worldwide, it's not just Americans, um, into sort of agreeing to giving up some freedoms uh, for the so-called promise of, of reducing uh, climate change or stopping climate change altogether. Um, you have Greta Thunberg out there. She is a young girl. Um, I personally think that she is being greatly manipulated by the people around her um, who says really terrifying things like, you know, she, she gets up at the UN and she talks about how she's had to give up. Her, she, she won't have a future, essentially. She says the world is on fire. She says, how dare you not put in place policies that would actually destroy economies and, and, and return nations. To after after sort of advancing and innovating and progressing um, to essentially developing nations, um, it would it would it would destroy the U.S. economy, um, and none of that is ever considered. I mean, you now look that's a child, so you know I always try to be careful with Greta Thunberg, but you've got AOC who is out there saying the same thing, saying you know regularly saying we have 12 years until the world is essentially destroyed. Now, if you get her in an interview, she's a little bit more nuanced. She'll say something, you know, well, we have 12 years until so we can really put in place some, some, um, some tough regulations. But she also says things like, you know, we can never go back. We're, it's 12 years until we, re- we essentially reach this point where we fall off a cliff. And you think about little kids who hear that. Now, I, you know, I think a lot of grown-ups will hear that and kind of roll their eyes and say, okay, it's just, you know, it's a little bit of hyperbole here. But you have kids hearing this. And I actually have three kids in school right now, and I am constantly having to correct some of the information that they hear in the public schools. The public schools have really become sort of uh, these incubators um, for climate hysteria, and so kids are nervous and you see this in the research on kids kids are dealing with a great deal of anxiety and and uncertainty and fear um, i mean this is this is you know this is well reported within psychological circles that kids nowadays are very worried about their futures and very worried about climate change. And and, and and it does not match the reality of what we're, we're seeing out there. And so, yeah, I, I consider it, it, it's essentially child abuse, what we're seeing out there from these cl- climate activists. And why they're doing that is to push, to push, to push parents and to push people to just say, you know what, maybe this is so serious and we want to give our kids a future. It's a very, very, very compelling argument. When you tell people that their actions or that You know, some nation is, is, you know, is putting out so much carbon emissions that it might destroy a generation's future. That is, you know, that's, that's my children and that's a lot of people's children and their grandchildren. And, and we want to give our kids a good life. So it's a very compelling argument and activists use that to tug at the heartstrings.
0: So I know you talk about in this brief about climate change being a real thing. You did just say the world is heating up. So what do we do when these claims come and they say that the science is proven? Why aren't there more people pushing back? Because there does seem to be a lot of scientists out there who are claiming that the world is getting to a point where we can't turn back. Why are the scientists out there talking about it in this way?
1: Well, look, you know, I, I think that climate change... And I like the word climate change and not global warming. And and the, and and to be honest with you, the activists were really smart to change it as well because uh, we saw with uh, many, many years ago, there was a, a big scandal that happened called Hide the Decline. And then there was the hockey stick scandal um, in England with a scientist who was sort of cooking the books. And again, with the Hide the Decline, there was – it was again. It was cooking the books. There had been a decline in temperature over a number of years, and scientists just didn't want to talk about this. And what we're seeing on in terms of warming, yeah, the the climate has warmed a little bit. Yeah, sure, sure, it has. For, you know, and 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 uh, and it hasn't warmed that much. But what's also important is that a lot of these scientists will base um, this sort of extreme uh, warming, uh, you know, on on you know they claim thousands of years of of data. Well, we weren't. I mean, there wasn't a caveman out there. You know, measuring—they the, didn't even know what the what temperature was. Okay, and so, you know, we we haven't been measuring the temperature for many, many years. It started in the 1800s, and so we have limited information. Um, and when you look at the actual data that is is collected from, especially on, for instance, um, sea levels, that is measured at the coast, actual measurements, and you compare it to the models that they do. And this is another issue that I don't want to spend too long on, but When you compare models tend to show the worst case scenario, whereas the actual measurements are showing much slower sea level rise, much less warming. And so, you know, yes, there is, there are scientists who claim that the the, the planet is warming at much higher rates, but those, again, are based on very flawed models. And why I think it's important to talk about models is we are currently (laughs) fighting a pandemic, and I think everyone by now knows that the models were flawed, okay? And particularly, I live in Virginia. Um, you know, we were supposed to peak a while ago. We're now going to peak in a few weeks. The, the 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 mortality rate is much lower than what was predicted. The infection rate is much lower. And we're seeing this throughout. I mean, I think there's there's some model in Tennessee that was off by 2,000%. And so this has become... Kind of an issue, and but it's important. I think a lot of people who've sort of watched, you know, the climate change debate know that these models have always been unreliable. And so you're then applying the models to a pandemic. uh, Again, you're going to get you're going to get unreliable numbers. Um, So the other thing I want to say, and I think this is important, I really hate the phrase "the science is settled." That is just not something scientists say. Science is always evolving and we are always discovering new things, even in in areas where you know we think, okay, well, we kind of figured this out. Um, You know, for instance, in diseases, we may find a treatment or we might find a drug that cures something, but often those drugs, you know, might have some side effects. Or we might come up, scientists might come up in the medical profession, might come up with a better way of doing it. And so, science is almost never settled. Um, We can have the weight of the evidence, um, and that's important, but there's always more evidence to be added to uh, the the sort of collection of data that's driving a decision. And and when it comes to climate change, we have, you know, sort of since the height, what I would call the height of the climate hysteria around the Inconvenient Truth and Al Gore, we have seen a lot more moderate voices arise on climate change. And really start to look at how innovation is a better, uh, a better way forward rather than harsh regulations. Of course, you know, we, we now have Greta and we have AOC pushing and Bernie pushing for the Green New Deal and these sort of, um, very, very onerous regulations that would destroy, would literally destroy America. Um, but, but, uh, but there are some rational voices. Um, much more rational voices on this. IWF is certainly one of the, trying to be and is, I think, one of the rational voices on this. And there are some other people noted in the back of the policy focus that are good sources on this.
0: And I'm glad you brought up the models even in relation to coronavirus, because I think many people, when they watch the news these days, they're asking themselves, what is the truth? They, they yeah. hear, especially since the news is... Focused on alarmist headlines. We've heard for years that on your local news station, tune in at 11 because your child is going to die from X. And so there's this alarmist (laughs) mentality, which, of course, you write about quite often. Um, And I think people are craving truth. And one of the things in relation to the oil industry and the crisis we saw this week where we had a collapse in oil prices the lowest we have ever seen in this country, almost a celebration by those who consider themselves to be climate activists. You've been mentioning AOC. Her tweet is now deleted, but she did tweet on Monday that you absolutely love to see it. That is a quote. You love to see this. And so I remember when they used to talk about no blood for oil. Then America became energy, energy sufficient. And then now we're seeing that they're saying it's great that the oil industry has collapsed. It seems even with yes. the terminology of global warming to climate change, now what they're fighting against keeps changing because we keep learning more.
1: Yeah, you know, what AOC wrote is just astonishingly cruel. Um, it is t- completely tone deaf. And, uh, and, and really reveals um, that this has more to do with transforming the, the American system of democracy and free markets and capitalism than her so-called concern for uh, for the earth and, and so-called climate change. Um, this is what, what we are seeing here, uh, a destroyed economies massive record breaking unemployment and sustained unemployment and the, the the very real possibility that we're going to go into a sustained depression because of this is actually uh the green new deal it played out it's like we're doing a little experiment here and and we and you know if someone said hey let's let's give the green new deal you know a couple weeks and we'll see what happens well this is what would happen you would have industries collapsing. You have people losing job, a massive job loss. You would have, inc- you know, incredibly high jobless claims and, and unemployment claims. Um, and, and, and you would probably see limits in other things. The fact that, you know, I can't go to a restaurant um, right now and sit down with my family. You would see these kinds of alterations to human activity. And, and, and Americans would have to just get by with less and have less and have a lower standard of living and, and just have to accept the more inconveniences in their lives. That is not necessary. That is not necessary. And I want to be clear here. Under the Green New Deal, this sort of carbon, zero carbon emission, um, you know, goals that they have, if the United States did it, let's say we did it. Let's say, you know, I was going to get up and say, you know what, I agree with AOC and Greta, and I think that we need to do this. It wouldn't make one, one ounce of difference in global emissions because of the increased output from China and India. You have, these con- you have these countries that are signing on to the Paris Climate Accord and are not meeting them. They just flagrantly just they say, you know what, we're not going to meet them. In fact, they increase their carbon emissions, and they, 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 they ignore every other uh, international treaty that they signed on to. Meanwhile, the United States is consistently lowering co- carbon emissions Every year. And, and, and we have been praised by, by the, the, I mean, it, the unlikeliest of, of sources by the WHO and from other international organizations that usually don't like us, but they actually do praise us for reducing our carbon emissions. But you have countries like, again, like China and India that are just ramping up emissions. And so I want to be clear, if you like the life you're leading right now with, you know, your schools closed and your restaurants limited and, you know, every, I can't get a I can't get a bucket of paint. I am stuck in the house and I am so desperate to do, do some, uh, some painting in my house. I can't get a bucket of paint anywhere. I can't, I can't order you know, certain things that I would like to do around the house. Now, if you like that and I don't, then sure, get behind the Green New Deal because it's going to be a whole lot of that, a whole lot of that for, for Americans. And that's, but it's not necessary. And again, Americans need to understand it won't make a difference. It won't make a difference in 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 in, in anything to, to lower global emissions. So I think it's really important that people understand that in or that that AOC and Bernie and many Democrats look. It's not just them. I mean, all of the Democrats I think on that debate stage w- were signing on to the Green New Deal. They want to put these incredibly onerous regulations on U.S. industry and on your own lives, and it's not going to in any way improve. Uh, you know, it's not going to any way improve the environmental situation for the United States or for the or for the earth. So that's quite a sacrifice for nothing in return.
0: And you brought up a good point which is the US is the leader when it comes to a clean environment often when people talk about the myths of climate change. I'm sure you hear this all the time. They automatically think you don't care about the environment, that you're choosing right. your own lifestyle over the environment, but it doesn't have to be that binary choice. So explain to me the ways that the United States has been a leader in a cleaner cleaner country, cleaner planet. What steps, what policies, what energy sources have we been able to to get that have led to that? Because I think that's a story that's often buried.
1: So the World Health Organization sets very stringent air quality standards, okay? And, and the U.S., since 2005, we have met those uh, and uh, we've we've reduced our, our carbon emissions by 14%. Okay, so since, since 2005, we've reduced that by 14%. Maybe we could do better, sure, uh, but we have reduced it by that much. Just in that same time period, how much the rest of the world has reduced carbon emissions? None. In fact, the world has increased total carbon emissions by 20%. So, you know, we, you you have these combined emissions of six air, air pollutants, ozone, lead, particulate matter, nitrous oxide, sulfur dioxide, and carbon monoxide. Those have dropped by 74% in the United States, okay? And we're seeing increases again in China and India. Um, we have, as I mentioned, we have been praised by the WHO for meeting these very stringent guidelines in 1990s of the U.S. population lived in areas where the U.S. met those incredibly stringent guidelines, okay? That's pretty good. Now, when I say, I'm not saying that the rest, of the the remaining 50% lived in polluted areas. They just, there was more particulate matter in the air. Today, so that was in 1990, 50% meeting these incredibly stringent WHO standards. In 2017, okay, so 27 years later, uh yeah, twenty seven years but Ninety seven percent the of the population of the United States lives in areas that meet the WHO's most stringent air quality um standards. Okay. And and again, these are very stringent. They're set by the WHO. So we have ninety seven percent of the of the country living in, in basically the cleanest air. And it and, and our air is cleaner. Our water is also cleaner since it's been in the nineteen seventies. So we live, you know, when you see pictures of Beijing and when you see pictures of some, some cities in India, there is smog. And, th- and the same used to be true in the United States. There are old pictures of, of L.A. in the 70s and other big cities that had a lot of sort of pollution. And you could actually see it sort of hanging over the cities. That's still true in many of these countries, uh, many of these cities in China and India. It's not true here in the United States. Our air is remarkably clean. And yet you don't hear about that. And when you, when, when, what, what, what frustrates me so much is Greta, Greta Thunberg comes over to the United States in her, in her you know, million-dollar boat, okay, that was donated by some, some rich person. You need to go to – what is she doing over here? Go to China. Go to India. Talk to those governments and see what they're doing. Because the United States is already on a good path to carbon emission reduction. We are on a good path to improving our waterways. We're on a good, we're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're really not on the path. We've sort of reached the, the end of that, you know, the, the, the board, the candy land board game here. We're doing really good. And so it's frustrating. I think, you know, I think there is a lot to be done. I think there are countries that can be doing a lot. I, I write about, um, the ocean pollution and how here in the United States, ocean pollution is an absolutely huge issue it is an important issue and we should be working to 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 improve ocean pollution and yet here in the united states you have policies like starbucks and marriott hotels and airlines banning straws when straws make up you know 0.01 percent of the pollution in the ocean what it is is it is netting and fishing gear that is dumped into nine nine rivers that then make their way into the ocean. And those nine rivers are all located in Asia and Africa. Why in the world Starbucks think it's going to solve this problem by, by refusing to give me a coffee, coffee straw, which drives me up a wall, is, um, is, 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 is not solving the problem. If, if Starbucks and these other companies really wanted to solve these problems, and again, ocean pollution is a problem, they would be investing in the wastewater treatment facilities in these countries. They would be trying. They would be deploying people into these countries to try to help uh, modernize these countries and, and find innovative solutions to, to the dumping problems that are really causing the ocean pollution problem. So, you know, I think it frustrates me um, to, to see America and the United States blamed for so much of this
0: stuff when, in fact, we're real, we're really the good guys in this. So, final question for you with. When it comes to policy solutions, are there things that we can be doing better? Is this more about letting the private sector work and innovate and continue to find cleaner sources of energy? Is a lot of this just trying to prevent things like the Green New Deal happening? Or do you make some certain policy suggestions for the current administration?
1: Well, look, I really think that the government messes things up. I I really worry about government interventions. And look, I, I... I know that the government has set, for instance, certain certain um, clean water standards and clean air standards. And, and, and you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with that at this point. But I will tell you. And that's what that's also what the green activists and, and sort of extreme radical environmentalists like to say. They like to say it was only because of of, um, uh, you know, of government action and government threats of regulation and actual regulation that, that, that industry ever cleaned up its act. Um, but you know what? Consumers have a lot of power here, and there has—I mean, there have basically consumers have been demanding better, cleaner, safer sources of electricity and energy for a, a long time. And so it's also sort of consumers demanding this. But I will tell you, the thing that I—I I always think is the better solution to the world's problems is that the human mind, and out of the human mind comes innovation and good ideas and problem solving. I mean we are seeing this live with this coronavirus despite China and the WHO withholding information and delaying information that could have been useful when we were trying to to discover or find a vaccine for this. Despite all the delays and problems, the US is on track to to find a vaccine and to find proper Treatments for this virus, and that's great. I wish we would have a, we would have had a little bit more time. But human innovation is the way that we're going to solve climate change, and one way that we can do that is a technology we already have. In fact, full disclosure, my father is a nuclear engineer, and so the nuclear energy energy industry in the United States um, was was really uh, promising at one point um, in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s. There were a lot of plants being built. Nuclear energy seemed to be the wave of the future. But there was a tremendous, tremendous misinformation campaign, very popular misinformation misinform, campaign, that was very powerful. And as a result, there hasn't been a new nuclear power plant built in you know over 30 years, it's 40 years now. Um, and my father, my father was part of a, a, of a company that helped to build nuclear power plants. And that was very sad to see that industry kind of go belly up. And a lot of it was because of the mismaking that we saw from activists. And in the 70s actually there were a lot of environmentalists who thought, hey, nuclear it's this great clean it's perfectly clean. There is no pollution. There is no n- nothing nothing bad that comes out of nuclear energy. There is some waste, waste that is yes, it, it 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 is. It it needs to be properly stored, but it is easy to do so and it doesn't produce that much waste. All of these things can be dealt with. And so Nuclear energy is very promising, and we need to be more like France. This is You'll never hear me saying that, but in this case, we need to be more like France. We need to <laughs> to, to, to encourage the building of more. In France, nuclear power is the main source of power, and we need to, to, to be building more nuclear plants. We also need, need to be looking into more creative and more innovative um, solutions. There's this new thing called carbon capture and storage, where carbon is actually captured. I mean, this, this, this sounds so sci-fi to me, but it's fascinating carbon emissions are actually captured from the source. They can be stored. And in the ultimate act of, of recycling, that carbon can then be used for other applications, for instance, manufacturing. Manufacturers often need carbon. Um, and so they can they can actually use that carbon. You know, renewables, hey, who doesn't like a windmill and a beautiful, like you're sitting on the beach and you look out and there's a windmill and then it takes out a bird. There's nothing nicer than a windmill. But it does not have the capability to replace fossil fuels, nor does wind, nor does nor does water power, and nor does air air power. So you've got um, you've got these other again these renew renewables, air, water, and wind, and they are just not at this point scalable to the point that they can replace fossil fuels. I have no problem with with um, increased. Um, uh, research and development, as long as it's not government funded, which as we know, largely it is. Um, but again, when you hear activists, environmentalists and activists saying, hey, we, we can just, you know, we can just run the country on algae power. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Um, and the other thing I would say, and I think this is one of the United States most powerful possessions is its ability to export, um, export our ideas. Um, once we develop these things, we should encourage other countries to do the same. We should encourage countries to increase innovation and reduce regulation, because um, this is really the way that humans solve problems: is not being restricted in their ideas um, and and their their potential solutions, but really to set them free and and to come up with the good ideas that do solve the world's problems
0: well i think we should all be glad that our wi-fi isn't being being run by windmill power (laughs) right now we'd have some major problems as many of us are teleworking and online learning. Um, But Julie, it's always fun to have you on. And I really do think that this is an important policy focus because it is, there is going to be that continued effort from climate activists to try to institute something like the Green New Deal. And it's going to be taking the facts, dispelling the myths and pointing to things that have worked, innovation being one of the main ones of that. So for now, we just thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a great, it's
1: great to be on. It's a very important topic.
0: And thank you for joining us. We did want to let you know the Independent Women's Forum relies on the generosity of supporters like you and investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes from all of us here at Independent Women's Forum. Thanks for listening.